Welcome swimmers and swimmers. I'm today's host, Garrett McCaffrey. Our guest today has coached three of the top clubs on the West Coast to championships at the state, sectional, and junior national level. He recently moved back to Southern California to coach Rose Bowl Aquatics. He's Andrew Wynn, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Thanks for making time today. How's it going so far at the new gig? Hey, Garrett. Thanks for uh, having me on the show today. Things are going well in, here in sunny Southern California. Um, you know, it's a little bit colder than I'd like at this point, but uh, I guess that's what I get from moving from Arizona to a colder spot. It's funny how the desert does that to you. I can definitely back that up. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's definitely a difference. So. Talk a little bit about that. What was so great about this position? Obviously, like I said in the intro, it's it's moving home where you grew up uh, to Southern California. But what else made this job so great that you couldn't pass it up? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, family is a is a number one priority for me. It's a very very big part of my life. Um, so when this opportunity came up, it was almost it, it was pretty a, a difficult decision to kind of come home just because I was there at Scottsdale for. Um, just a little under a year. Uh, when this opportunity came up, I grew up in this area. I swam at Rolls Bowl Aquatics for a year. Um, and then I moved to swim Pasadena with uh, Coach Terry Stoddard, um, who recent, who was coaching at Rolls Bowl Aquatics once upon, once upon a time. Um, but, you know, when, when you have an opportunity to kind of come home, coach a premier club team in your hometown, not a whole lot of coaches have that opportunity to kind of do that. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to kind of share that with share that with you, Garrett, you know, having a homecoming and be able to kind of coach a club team. Um, not a whole lot of coaches have that opportunity. It's kind of hard to say no to that. I can totally agree with that. I mean, I'm like, I, you just said, I'm in the same boat. Uh, this is, I'm on my second job in two years after being at a club for a very long time. Um, so part of this is, uh, my own desire to learn from you and cause we're in a similar situation. So, um, I, I've learned that change is hard for sure. And, um, it, it, it kind of creates a struggle that I think I've learned some things from, I've learned some things about myself. I've learned some things about the, the job of coaching a club, or I got a chance last year to learn about coaching college a little bit. What kind of struggles have built some strength for you, um, in these transitions? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to start off by saying like, I am someone who struggles getting out of their comfort zone. And, you know, as a coach, you kind of preach to your athletes all the time, you know, be comfortable, being uncomfortable. Um, when the opportunity to kind of go to Scottsdale presented itself, um, you know, being at Bellevue for 10 years, 12 years, you know, being head coach there for six years, it was like, all right, do I need to kind of grow, step outside my comfort zone? You know, Scottsdale provided me an opportunity to be a CEO, um, be a head coach, you know, the bucks starts and, and ends with you, right? And the support down there was absolutely incredible. I learned and grew, grew so much in that area. You know, um, in Washington, you obviously had all your, I had all my college friends from UW. Um, I had my wife's family up there. It was very comfortable being in Arizona. You, I moved strictly down there for the SAC job. You know, my wife moved down there. And it was just the two of us. So that was a growing opportunity as not only in my um, professional career, but also my personal career with my wife as we were um, 
recently married. So, you know, there were a lot of opportunities just to kind of get out of my comfort zone. Um, one being going from a 300 person club to a close to 500 person club at Scottsdale, you know, Kevin and the rest of the um, Scottsdale coaching staff definitely laid great foundation for a great program. Um, you know, I went in there and started a week late just because we went to summer juniors. Um, the transition was really quick. I only had two days. I only had two days to move. Um, but it was almost like a plug and play situation. Um, you know, managing three pools instead of just one pool at Bellevue club. Uh, that was a growing opportunity, but it, it was a lot of fun. You know, I think, you know, you're very familiar with the Phoenix metropolitan area. Um, everything, the traffic is a little less, um, you know, club teams are a little bit more plentiful in the, in, in one congested area, but Scottsdale provided an opportunity for me to grow, um, in that CEO head coach role a lot more than, than Bellevue club. I mean, I'm super grateful for my time at Bellevue club. It definitely set me up for Scottsdale, but, uh, yeah, I think with, with Scottsdale, it definitely provided, it challenged me in, in many ways, you know, culturally, you know, professionally, personally, and it was something I'm, I'm super grateful for. Yeah. Cause it, it kind of took you out of the Northwest, you know, after you'd gone mm -hmm. to school at UW for four years and then coached at Bellevue for 12 years. I mean, that's a long stretch in one place. Um, and just being at a team for that kind of stretch, like, like we were talking about, you know, I was in, in the area um, at Phoenix Swim Club for 11 years. And uh, there's definitely some things that when you're in the middle of it, you're always kind of thinking maybe the grass would be greener. But then once you get to that greener grass, so to speak, you look back and you say, oh, that was really nice because this was all kind of settled. And the consistency of being somewhere for 11 years, um, I think you take for granted some pieces of, of that. Um, were there any kind of similar learning situations where things were kind of ingrained in everybody at Bellevue Club. And when you got to Scottsdale, you realized that's not the way everywhere, or I have to earn that everywhere. Um, were there any examples of that as you transitioned? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, being at a club for so long, you know, that transition from August to September, you know, when you're going from season to season, um, you take for granted the fact that, hey, we're just building on small little pieces. But when you're walking into a whole nother animal, a whole nother beast, you're like, okay, I don't know what happened the previous season. I'm walking into September and in Scottsdale's case, because of the start of the school year, I'm walking in mid-August and saying, all right, how do I plan for this upcoming season? You know, thankfully, Bob Platt set me up and set the entire team up very, very nicely. He was always in my ear, hey, this is what we're doing. You know, Kevin was always a resource as well. Um, the board was super supportive and trying to give me resources. But the, what I took for granted was the fact that there was no smooth transition from August to September. You know, at Scottsdale, I had the coaching staff in place where they were like, hey, listen, this is, this is how we've done it. We're open to doing things a little bit different. We're all on board. We're all in. Um, just tell us your vision. What do you want? And what, where do you want to take this thing? Um, so having the consistency in a program from season to season is something I definitely took, grant, took for granted. Um, but it was a great opportunity to kind of learn a new system, how things were done differently. And different doesn't necessarily mean bad, you know, and I have to learn that very, very quickly. Um, in terms of, I mean, in addition to that, I found out really quickly in October and September or October during morning practices, I definitely miss the indoor uh, facility of Bellevue Club. Being on deck in the desert in October, man, I got soft real quick. 
It's funny how that desert air, you know, they say it's a dry heat, but for some reason that dry cold gets to you a little bit quicker. It's kind of funny, but I'll be honest, yeah. I miss that. And hopefully you're finding a little bit friendlier October and November in Southern California now. I mean, so now you've coached at three of the best clubs in the country, you know, definitely on the West Coast, but in the country as somebody who's trying to, you know, build towards being one of those top 100, top 50, at one point, even top 10 clubs that you've been a part of, what do all three places have in common? What are some things that you can point at that say, okay, all three of these places have this and, you know, looking for some defining characteristics of elite clubs? Yeah, I would say all three have a vision. You know, you have a vision of what your program wants to be. And um, on top of that, you have a plan. You know, you have a plan on how to get to that point. How do you get to gold medal club? How do you get to um, being a top 100 program in the country? And then in terms of that, you have to have, or in addition to that, you have to have people in place, coaches, athletes, families, um, who are all in, who are bought into that vision. And they, uh, and they attack that plan with passion, with a lot of love and a lot of respect. Um, culturally, I think all three programs have that. Um, and that's the reason why they've been so successful for a very, very long time. You know, it, it goes beyond just one person. I do think, you know, in addition to achieve gold medal clubs as or win juniors or win sectionals, it takes more than one athlete um, to be at their very best. And I've always been a firm believer in, in the team concept. And I really want to provide an environment where it's inclusive of everyone who wants to reach their full potential. Right. Um, I definitely approach all of them in developing the entire human being. And I provide that entire, try to provide that environment within our teams. Um, our coaches understand that our coaches have been all in on that. And I think that's why kids just enjoy being part of those programs. Um, at the end of the day, a happy swimmer is a fast swimmer. I feel like. How do you do that? I mean, it's one thing to talk about, you know, coaching the whole swimmer, um, and I, I like to think I do the same thing and try to connect with them. But sometimes with limited practice opportunities, you want to make sure you're getting the work in that you need. And it's tough to make time. How do you make the time and how do you use the time that you have to make sure that you are connecting with the whole person and helping the whole person and not just the swimmer? Yeah, as, as coaches, we're so obsessed with, you know, we have an hour and a half or two hours. We're going to get all this work done in this time frame. Um, you know, something I learned from Klaus Schenk, the founder of Bellevue Club, he, when he spoke to you, he looked at you in the eye. You know, he truly had a vested interest in who you are. How was your, how was your day? What did you have for lunch? You know, that even spilled over at Scottsdale, right? When Bob, on every Monday, he would talk to every athlete. How was your weekend? What did you do that was fun? And the kid literally said like, hey, I only did homework on Saturday and Sunday. You engage with that. Um, opening that door for your athletes to kind of walk through um, makes them feel heard, makes them feel seen, makes them feel protected, makes them feel wanted. Um, and I feel like that's just super, super powerful in, in making sure they feel empowered to be at their very best, supporting them beyond just their splits, their pace and, and whatnot. But it all starts with that relationship-based um, foundation. And I really feel like getting to know the athlete beyond just their times, their, their practice habits, their attendance, um, is super, super important. And I will go back to my time at Bellevue club. You know, I learned that from Klaus Shank, you know, Andy Pym did a really good job of providing that, you know, Dwight, Ash, you know, Dwayne, 
all those coaches, they, they truly took a vested interest in all the athletes as human beings. And, you know, I tried it. I definitely took that to Scottsdale. I definitely am taking that to Rose Bowl here. I think that's probably some of the most valuable coaching tools um, that we have that ability to connect, but people like, like to tune into these coaching podcasts to get some nitty gritty training details. How, how has your training evolved through these three transitions? You talked about, you know, people, when you came in, this is how we do things or we've done things. I'm open to doing things a different way. Um, what kind of things have the clubs done that you're like, oh, okay, I've never thought of that, but let's try it and and have worked. And what kind of things have you taken that have worked at one club that you're like, we have to make sure that we include this um, as part of our approach um, at the at the new spot? Uh, every position that I've been in or every club that I've been in, I've always followed in the footsteps of someone who's been head coach there for a very long time. You know, Kloss was there for... 37 years before he turned the reins over to Andy um, and then Nate and then myself. And then at Scottsdale, Kevin was there for a very long time, you know, 15 plus years. And Jeff's been, was here for 15 plus years as well. Right. I think in my position, I've always grown up with the mindset that you respect your elders, you respect those that came before you. Um, And three historically proven club teams like this, you have to respect what has been done in the past because they're the ones that kind of built the foundation of where we're at now, right? Um, But I also think the excuse of this is how it's always been done or this is how we've always done it um, is simply that, it's an excuse. I think there's our sports evolving in a way where, you know, you're not swimming yards, miles and miles and miles and miles, right? Uh, Endlessly and mindlessly. And I really feel like there is some, there is some good in that. But I also think nowadays with, with the generation that we're dealing with, a lot of the kids are going to be a little bit more engaged. You give them something a little bit more fast paced, you know, you're not going to ask them to 3000 every single day. Um, There are some that need it. There are some that are built on that and some that would love that. Um, but the majority of the teams are not looking for that. Um, personally, I grew up with Terry who came from mission and, you know, we, we did a lot of yardage. We definitely hit the volume and, you know, everyone kind of coaches the way they were coached. Right. Um, I know your time at King, you definitely took a lot away from that. Like some of my best friends swim for King and they took, a took away a lot from there. Um, but I definitely learned that I cannot expect a one size fits all practice mentality. Um, you know, the last three, four weeks of our training block, I've been writing three or four different workouts for our kids. Um, thankfully Hector, um, our national assistant coach, he actually is on deck with me. So we're able to run two or three different practices, but the training philosophy or my training has evolved in like, Hey, when I coached the 14 unders, when Klaus kind of gave me the senior prep group at Bellevue club, it was like, I'm going to put you in the ground. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the volume. I'm going to make sure that you leave practice, like knowing that you put in the work. Right. Um, And I've evolved to the point where it's like, Hey, let's, let's train smarter, not necessarily harder. Right. We will get what we need out of this practice. So long as you kind of fine tune your details. Right. Um, I haven't gone to the other side where it's like, Hey, we're just going to do race pace all the time. Right. Cause I do feel like some kids in our programs all across the board at Rose Bowl, Scottsdale, and Bellevue Club needed that volume. Um, and I learned it the hard way. I, ha- I had some athletes at Bellevue Club who just didn't get enough volume. Um, 
and they were doing the miles, they were doing the 200 flies, the four IMs, and they just weren't comfortable uh, in those races. So it's definitely been taking a lot of learning opportunities for me uh, to try to solve, you know, where's the great volume, right? At Scottsdale, we had three, we hit three weeks where we hit 10 grand, 10 grand every Tuesday. And those Scottsdale kids who are, are who, who are still there, they'll tell you, uh, we, we, we put in some yards, like Bob absolutely loved it. But there were some days where we were, Bob and I looked at each other, we're like, we're overdoing it. We can't do it again. Um, so definitely a learning, learning opportunities left and right. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think the, the name of the game really is not trying to fit everybody into one program, but trying to find a program that fits for everyone. And you talked a little bit about breaking down into four different practices. I mean, would you compare that to like a college team where there was sprint mid distance and I am like, what were the four, four types of workouts that you've been riding for the last three weeks? Yeah. So for, so the way I typically like to do my weekly breakdown, Mondays are very kick, uh, very kick heavy on Monday afternoons. We throw in IM just because I, I truly believe every age grouper should be able to do all four strokes and do four strokes. Well, on Tuesday, um, we usually hit threshold freestyle for everyone. Now on, on Tuesdays, it's usually an upper mid and lower group. Um, typically the lower group doesn't really get that opportunity to go low until maybe towards the end of the training block. Cause I would like everyone to kind of go mid and upper. Um, and Tuesdays are typically pretty terrible. Um, a lot of people have nicknamed those terrible Tuesdays, um, our threshold Tuesdays. And then Wednesday mornings, we kind of go back. We have, we're able to train long course on Wednesday mornings here at Rose Bowl. Um, and on Wednesday morning, we go stroke or we go freestyle. Um, and then on Wednesday nights, we all just go fast together. You can pick whatever stroke you want. Everyone's doing the same distance. Thursday morning, we are going back to pace. Again, you're picking whatever stroke you'd like. Um, you're either going upper or lower group. Thursday nights, we actually have off. I took this from Scottsdale. I think it was very, very incredible that um, – Kevin gave them Thursday nights off because high school meets were during that time, but it also allows them to be high school kids before exams on Friday. And then Friday, we don't, we don't come back till Friday night. Um, those are active recovery practices where we have some easy swim in between, but not too easy or else you're going to miss the interval. And Saturday mornings we hit threshold where we race again. Um, a lot of the split is upper and lower um, or stroke work. Awesome. Those are the kind of nitty gritty details that the listeners love um, and appreciate just because, you know, fitting that Tetris puzzle together is kind of difficult. You are doing it with seven practices and it looks like there's quite a bit of dry land built in as well. How many days a week and and how has dry land kind of evolved for you? I know that, um, you know, you've done some work in the past with dry land and, and um, that's some, an area that you excel at. How has it evolved and what does it look like right now with Rose Bowl? Yeah. Um, you know, at Bellevue club, when I was working with Ash Milad, our strength and conditioning coach there, um, he and I talked about how we wanted to provide a build a dry land program where it was like, all right, you're going to get, you're going to prevent injury getting by getting strong right? Um, a stronger swimmer is obviously a faster swimmer. Um, more importantly, our dryland programs for over the years, I've always wanted kids to be more comfortable um, walking out of their dryland program, right? If that kid gets that first pull up, they're going to walk a little bit taller, right? Shoulders back um, physically, but also mentally and emotionally, they're going to feel pretty dang good about themselves. And that's something that I think dryland programs across the board are 
are, they provide something that you really can't match anywhere else. Um, you know, at Scottsdale, we definitely, I ordered a bunch of med balls for the kids. We had a weight room right next to the pool, which was awesome. Uh, we worked on a lot of power. Um, the reps were lower. We did a lot of time-based circuits, but we definitely, um, I, I definitely cut the reps back a little bit. I just wanted them to focus on lifting correct, moving well, making sure their mobility was right. Um, and then at Rose Bowl here, we do have a couple of rogue rigs here. Uh, we have a lot of free weights. We have a lot of dumbbells on deck. Um, we are very fortunate that our entire coaching staff, everyone lifts in some capacity. You know, we have a couple of coaches who are taking Olympic lifting classes um, for them, for themselves, right? Um, we have a couple of coaches who have their own home gym set up. So across the board, all of us are really passionate about making sure we're complementing what we're doing in the water. Um, but that knowledge is pretty cool because we have like six or seven coaches who will drop into our dry land and say, hey, have you ever thought about doing it this way? Um, but our, our dryland program right now, we have a lot of dumbbell work. We have trap bars. Um, one thing that I noticed that Rose Bowl does really, really well when I first got here, warm up to swim from gain. You know, I know that Jeff implemented that a few years back. The warm up to swim has stuck ever since. And we actually bought mini bands for our entire team from 10 unders all the way to our senior divisions, um, obviously varying levels. But the kids just know to put those bands around their ankles, around their knees, and they're just going to get that glute activation going. Um, it's pretty cool to see our eight to 10 year olds doing the same thing as our national kids, if you will. You know, we have the rogues, we have the rogue setups and the kids are hanging from the hanging from the um, the pull up bars. Our newly hired 13, 14 coach, Matt Cervantes, actually has all the kids kind of engage their lats before um practice as well. So no one's getting in the water without doing some sort of activation, um, warm up to swim. So super thankful that that's in place here. Sounds awesome. I mean, the ability to have all of the equipment on deck to be able to supply your kids with that stuff and, you know, have the space to do it and the time available to do it is it's awesome. It's enviable. Um, let's talk a little bit about you as a coach, um, and this is usually a question that I like just to kind of get you talking about your own coaching style. And I know you talked about wanting to take the holistic approach and having conversations with the kids. Can we dive a little bit deeper into that? If your Scottsdale swimmers had to describe to your Rose Bowl <laughs> swimmers, what kind of coach you are, your presence on deck, you cracking jokes, you keeping everybody on, on their, uh, intervals, like what, how would they describe you, your coaching style, um, to your new team? Yeah, this conversation actually happened at Irvine uh, at Summer Juniors. You know, we were there with Scottsdale. Um, we had six athletes, uh, eight, seven athletes. And then we also, you know, the Rose Bowl kids were there. In the warm-up, warm-down pool, I caught a bunch of my kids, just or a couple of Scottsdale kids, talk to the Rose Bowl kids, and they would talk about how how horrible I was, you know, how mean I was, how many 10K practice I'd run. And, you know, Rose Bowl, you know, these kids don't touch 10K at all. Um, I haven't touched 10K this year with, with the Rose Bowl kids, I'll be honest with you. Um, but they were just talking about that. And the Rose Bowl kids were like, holy crap. Like they were talking to Hector. They're like, is this the right person? Um, but they were just joking with them. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, something I picked up from you swimming at UW, you know, for Whitney with Tommy Hannon, um, with Helen, with John, you know, with Brendan and Joe at that time. Um, Tommy Hannon was someone that always had your back as a coach. And that's something I really, really 
admired about him. Like he, he did not care if you were an NCAA qualifier or if you were someone who was barely trying to make the travel squad, Tommy was going to have your back. Um, that's something I really admired about the dude. And that's something I promised myself that if I was going to get into coaching, that's something that I would emulate, you know? Um, and if the sack swimmers were to talk to the Rose Bowl swimmers, that's something I hope they would, they would, they would, uh, communicate uh, to me as a, uh, t- about me as a coach. Um, yeah, man, I, I really feel like that's something that is invaluable. Um, and with that holistic approach, I have learned that from Klaus, you know, Klaus Shank is someone who is one of the kindest human beings ever. And he'll talk to you about everything, but swimming, right. Terry Stoddard was the same way. Like he would always ask about everything, but swimming. Um, and I feel like that holistic approach, that understanding allows you to really be your best, um, not only as a swimmer, but as a human being, um, when you're in the water, you're like, I want to run through the wall for this person. I want to be able to like work my hardest for this person. Um, so that's how I kind of approach the athletes that I work with. I will always have your back. Um, you know, my expectations are that I, it is a two-way road, right? Um, I will put my effort into everything as long as you promise to give your very best effort and understanding that not every day is going to be perfect, right? If you only are at 30%, give me hundred percent or 30% that day and we'll call it good. Um, one thing that I took away from Bellevue club, we shook hands, did fist bumps, you know, high fives after every practice. It was just simply closure for that practice. You're allowed good days. Some days you're going to, ha- I mean, most of the time you're going to have worse practices than good practices. And something that I did that I brought to Scottsdale and then now here at Rose Bowl, um, no matter how practice went, swimmers and coaches just simply have closure by giving a fist bump, handshake, high five, acknowledging that, Hey, we just spent an hour and a half together. We gave it our very best. Let's come back tomorrow. I love it. I know it. I appreciate very much um the humbleness that you have you know like just making sure that you're giving credit to all of these coaches who had an impact on you and one that stood out tommy hannon i mean we only had him in the coaching uh profession for a brief like stretch of time but man he impacted a lot of people myself included he was great Mm -hmm. um he was awesome and having your back um and having your swimmers back is definitely the best way to go into competitions and and to get the most out of them Um, I I think that takes time and there's no real shortcuts, but are there steps that you can take to get to know them quicker? Um, Like, for example, I decided that we needed to do goal meetings and I put a goal sheet together that was a little bit more personal, like um, included things like what does success look like to you? What what is your relationship with failure? Just so that I could learn some of those things. Um, that you usually take, you know, a few meets and sometimes a few months or years to really get to with your swimmers. What kind of steps did you take to make sure that on top of just making sure you had the conversations before and after practice, you were getting to know them and they had the chance to get to know you and understand um, what a great, humble, authentic person you are? How do you how do you kind of expedite that process of getting to know them? Yeah, I mean, I use the same goal sheets um, at all three programs, obviously I can update it a little bit more, but one thing or a few questions I asked on my goal sheets, there are five or six. One is what did we accomplish last year? What did we not accomplish? You know, that gives them time to kind of reflect on this previous season. Um, and then that leads into the next question, you know, what are we trying to do this season? Right. And then the third one is plan. I mean, how do you plan to set yourself self up for these 
goals that you want to achieve. Um, and I tell them not to just rush through it, but more so like really take time to see like, what are your expectations of yourself? Right. Um, what are your, what are your goals athletically? And then I put it, I, I follow that up with a, what are your academic goals? Cause again, I, I do think I've been very fortunate in, in, in working with teams where I'm in areas where academics are number one, they will always be number one. Um, there's a reason why they're student first and student athlete. Um, and a lot of the kids know that. So me putting that on paper, is kind of a shock to a few kids. They're like, why would you care about whether I get a 36 on the, uh, <laughs> on the ACT, right. Or, or whatnot. And I really feel like, um, I want to care about that, that side of their, that side of their life. Um, one thing I, I've noticed over the years, if things don't go well, the first six to eight hours of school, um, they're carrying that with them to practice. And I feel like if I'm able to support them on that and say, Hey, listen, whatever happened at school, come, you know, come to practice with the clearest mind possible. Um, the next one is what are your expectations of your teammates? What are your expectations of your coaches? And that gives them a platform where they can just say, Hey, this is what I need. This is what I want as a human being. This is what um, I expect being on Bellevue Club, Scottsdale, or Rose Bowl, right? And that gives me an insight on what their mindsets are. You know, you got some pretty cool answers. I'm not going to lie. And the last one is anything you also you want to share with me that isn't ass on this paper. Um, and a lot of kids take advantage of that. And they just say, hey, these are all the things that, that you don't see on a resume or a college application or uh, the, the recruiting, the recruiting tools or everything. So can you give us a little glimpse at what some of those awesome answers were for expectations for the teammates and coaches? What kind of answers stood out to you? Yeah. Um, a lot of them were, Hey, for teammates, you know, in between the lanes, in between hard sets, the language has got to be a lot better. Um, you know, I'm going to go back to Klaus on this one, but he had something called PLT, positive lane talk. Um, I've never implemented it. It was just an understanding like, hey, like keep it positive at the end of the day. Uh, but a lot of the kids wanted that in between practices, um, during practice, I'm sorry, when you're throwing them a really hard threshold set, they're going to want, you know, 30 other kids that are on the same page as them saying, hey, you got this, Garrett. Um, keep going. Remember your goals. Um, and that was pretty cool for me to hear because as a teenager, it's almost cool to not care as much. It's almost cool to kind of stand back and say like, I'm good. I don't need to do this. I'm, I'm at 90%. I know I can give 10% more, but I'm not willing to, because at the end of the day, if I don't achieve my goals, I know that I can give more. Um, it's a, it's a really cool psychology tactic that you kind of deal with, um, expectations for coaches. They're like, just see me as a human being. You know, that's one that really stuck out to me at, at, at Scottsdale. Um, and getting that insight with that athlete allowed me to see when they were really, really low and really low in energy, low in the dumps, you know, school is really hard. Social life was really hard. And just saying, Hey, listen, you're here at practice. We got two hours. I just need you to focus on what you need. What can you give me today? Um, opening that door, allowing them to say, Hey, I can only give you 30%. I'm like, all right, I'm going to hold you to that. So building that relationship and building that understanding was, was pretty cool. But, you know, accountability was something that was a common theme across the board. Now, I also even told them, like, if you're going to put this down, you need to be able to receive it uh, as well, right? Like, that's part of the maturation process. 
touched on so many important pieces there. Um, and I just kind of want to dig in deep because this is something that I was reminded of um, with high school kids jumping back into club that sometimes it's cool to not care, you know, like it's not, it's not cool to be a try hard. Um, it actually, you know, came into a big talk that we had after our first meet together where we kind of made it clear that everybody in this group let swimming define them as in like when you introduce yourself, you're a swimmer. When somebody asks about what you do, you talk about swimming. And so it's something that literally defines you. Why do you act like it's not important sometimes? Mm -hmm. And I was just curious how you address that, that same thing. Like I, it obviously is important to them, but I think exactly like you said, it's kind of a cop out if they know that they're not trying their hardest and they make it obvious enough to everybody else and everybody else knows you know, they still have a bunch of potential if they wanted it. Um, how do you kind of, I think that could be a toxic trait for a group. Um, how do you address that when you're, especially when you're kind of coming into a new group and, you know, you don't want to necessarily be the the stick coach and like call them out and, you know, point it out in front of a lot of people. Um, it's kind of tricky to navigate. How do you address that? It goes back to my mindset of approaching these these athletes as human beings, right? Like my, I remember my first talk with um, the Rose Bowl National Group. You know, I told them like, listen, at the end of the day, like, I had an opportunity to come home after I accepted the job. You know, my dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and he passed a month later after my last day at Scottsdale. And I said, listen, at the end of the day, um, you know, obviously the universe lined up for me, and it was time for me to come home, but I want you all to understand what you have in front of you. You're not going to remember your best times. You're not going to remember all the places. You're not going to remember the medals and all that. You're remember the, the memories that you create with your teammates, like your lifelong relationships. And that's something I, I talk to with our 10 under division, our 11, 12 division, our 13, 14 division, our senior division. And I made sure I mentioned that with, to our parents as well, because parents need to understand that they're not paying training fees for, scholarships or gold medals or Olympic teams, you know, they're paying for the membership or the relationships here um, that our wonderful sport provides. Um, but I told the kids, I'm like, I want you to be vulnerable with each other, you know, strip down all these like macho walls around you, right? Like just be real with each other, be human beings. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm personally a big Brene Brown fan and I listen to a lot of her podcasts. A lot of the stuff that she says, you're like, wow, this woman gets it, you know, and that message across the board is something that is so important. And as you teach these teenagers nowadays, or it's just this next generation coming up, like, listen, like you don't have to put up a facade. Um, I see you as who you are. I want you to be real with me, whether that's really, really negative or really positive, we're going to get through this together. Um, so I definitely encourage uh, an environment, a team environment, a pool deck where people are able to let their guards down, be real with each other, you know, be vulnerable with each other. Um, and that's what I definitely strive for. A lot of people are insecure, especially with the social media age that we live in. Um, you can always seem to be a lot better than you really are. Um, and, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very passionate about mental health. Any of my athletes will tell you that. Um, and I will be a big supporter of that. But I just think starting with an environment where you're super vulnerable with each other and be real with each other, is just simply the start. It's very brave on a bunch of levels, obviously, that you shared it with your team and that you shared it here with us. I'm really, really genuinely sorry about 
that situation, it was, you know, crazy timing. Um, and to use that as, you know, an opportunity to break down those walls is just demonstrating uh, a vulnerability and a level of trust that how can you not get on board with somebody after they just shared their heart with you like that? Like, I mean, it's, it's an awesome, awesome example of vulnerability and Brene would be very proud of it. Um, it's, it's a great example of kind of how you had a chance to win over the swimmers. And I'm sure that this was part of your ability to kind of demonstrate and show vulnerability for the staff as well. But that's the other side of this. And and we could also talk about the parents who you have to win over because ultimately those are the the people who are paying the bills and and deciding that they're going to go with certain teams and backing up um, the swimmers. But let's let's kind of stick with those two groups, the swimmers and the coaches. Which one is tougher to win over when you're kind of coming into a new situation? I know they're different, but, um, you know, more for the sake of just kind of getting into the conversation of the differences, which one is tougher? I would definitely say the athletes, right? As as 18 and unders, they smell your BS real quick, right? You can come in, you can crack the whip, or you can kind of be playful. You can kind of be joking all the time. But athletes see right through that. And I think winning them over is is huge, right? Because they're going to come back. They're going to go back to the dinner table. Hey, mom, dad, practice sucked today. I hate it here, right? They can, they easily have that power or, you know, Andrew's fake. Andrew's not, not the right coach for me. Um, so I think winning the athletes over is definitely more difficult. I think with the coaches that we've had here at Rose Bowl, you know, I've been very fortunate, you know, there's a young, there's a young coaching staff. They're passionate. They're sponges. They're willing to learn. They're all in, you know, they're, they're kind of wide-eyed, um, bushy tailed here and they're ready to go. So, I mean, they were all in from the very beginning. I was, I had an opportunity to kind of meet a few of them at summer juniors on deck. Um, I was communicating with Hector. Um, he's been wonderful trying to rally, rally the troops, you know, those seven, eight coaches during the pandemic, they definitely held it down. It was seven, eight coaches with, um, you know, close to close to 300 athletes, 400 athletes, right. Um, those were some very, very long days and you can totally tell how winded they were come, come the end of last season. So they took their two, three week breaks. I told them, Hey, come back refreshed and ready to go. Um, but the athletes, on the other hand, you can't talk to all 350 athletes and expect the same message to go to every single one of them. In addition to that, we got, we have a 250 person pre-comp program as well, talking to them about what their goals are and what their trajectory looks like may very well go over their heads as well. So, um, the athletes are definitely someone or definitely a group that's harder to win over. So the same question I asked about the athletes, how do you expedite the get to know them process of getting to know your coaches? Are you on deck for their practices? I think it's probably nice because you guys have just one pool, right? We have two 50 meter pools, but we oh, only use nice. one. <laughs> uh, we use one, we use one uh, 50 meter pool. We have 20 lanes going at once. Um, so actually the first week, Garrett, I looked down the pool deck and there were all of our, our entire coaching staff on deck. Um, some of them weren't even coaching groups yet, but they were interacting with the rest of the other groups. Um, and, and we had, I think eight groups in the water, six groups in the water at that time. And I just told the coach, I'm like, I love this collaboration, right? The fact that you're all, all are comfortable with each other. You're not in the office trying to do admin work, coming in and trying to help other coaches. I'm like, this is the momentum that we need to ride. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's simply showing, showing face, you know, having the division meetings were, were awesome to have, you know, it was an opportunity for the coaches or the families 
and the athletes to kind of get to know who I was. Um, but just stay on top of that. It's not a one once a year thing. All right. So let's kind of transition into moving forward at Rose Bowl and mm -hmm. uh, juniors is pretty close here. Four weeks away, something like that um, within the next month. And the Rose Bowl men are defending junior West champions. Um, does that kind of put some pressure or is that something um, that you use as motivation with them? Is that something that's addressed at all when you talk to the guys? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to kind of backtrack on that. I do think pressure is a privilege, right? A lot of people feel like, hey, listen, pressure is a bad thing. But if anything, it brings out the best in a lot of us. Um, as long as you learn to manage it, manage expectations. Um, you know, go back, going back to 2019 when we had an opportunity to swim juniors at Federal Way. I remember the Rose Bowl guys, Jeff rolled up, rolled up with them and they beat us on the last relay and they beat us by half a point for the men's team um, title there. So it's kind of cool to kind of come full circle and kind of roll into Austin with these guys. Um, but in addition to that, our girls team is really, really strong as well. So, you know, we've had team meetings. I've been very intentional not to have just a girls team meeting or a guys team meeting, but just an entire team meeting um, and kind of going in and just talking about what the expectations are. Um, you know, fortunately, I don't have to kind of dwell, I don't have to dwell on it because they they've been there. They've done that. They understand the task at hand. But I do have to guide them in the fact that, hey, listen, at the end of the day, we got to focus on ourselves. We can't we can't worry about what other teams are doing, because I think this is going to be one of the fastest junior national meets in recent recent memory. Um, and if we're so caught up in what everyone else is doing, we don't focus on the most important people. And that's us, you know, in, 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 in our pool, you know, in our hotel room and, in and whatnot. So, you know, we're going to definitely do our best. Um, the kids, the kids all know what's at stake, but, um, you know, take it day by day, you know, trusting the process and making sure they're doing the work, you know, working on the little details, making sure they're setting themselves up to be the very best. Right. If at the end of the day we do everything and we fire on all cylinders in Austin um, and, and we still don't achieve what we hope to achieve, I'm still going to be proud of them because they've done everything that's been asked of them. They they've been their very best, you know, so. I want to get a little deeper into how you've been preparing them. Um, mm -hmm. When I spoke with Emily Molina last week, um, she said she would was at a meet with you the week before and you were sharing one of the sets um, that some of your swimmers were doing. Some of your mid-distance and distance swimmers were getting after. It included some 300s tight interval into 100s fast. Can you take us through the details of that? Absolutely. And I'm not going to take credit for this set because it was Hector Jimenez um, set originally. He he came to me with it. He's like, hey, what do you think about this set? And he and I actually went back and forth on it for a week, just trying to tailor it to the group of athletes in, in, in the pool. Um, the beauty, the beautiful thing is everyone did it together. Um, I didn't care if you were long, short, mid or whatnot, or non freestyler, but it was originally, it was four rounds of five, one hundreds rest 30 seconds, and then a 300 fast and then a hundred easy. Um, the, the five, one hundred started off on either one minute, 106, or 109 uh, for our C interval. Each round, you got a second faster. So those guys started going on 50, 55, 56s at the end. Um, and then the 300 was just fast, and then 100 easy on two minutes. Um, 
I will tell you right now, a lot, it was our first time doing that set. A lot of the kids got really excited. It was our second week into October. Um, and I warned them October was going to be a cave of pain. We weren't going to come out of it until Halloween. And, you know, they were really excited. They got after it. The first round was awesome. The second, third and fourth round, we were, we were sputtering through to say the least. We were, we had a lot of defeated athletes after that, but you know, it gave me an opportunity. They, they actually came to me and Hector and it's like, Hey, um, I thought that was a little much. So we actually altered it and we did it two weeks later. We did six rounds total, but what we did was we started for the first two rounds, five 100s and then 300. The next two rounds were four 100s and 300. The last two rounds were three 100s on 300. It made, it made it a little bit more manageable and we gave them a little bit more rest before the 300. Um, and they were so much better the, the second time around because they were much more prepared. But you know that coach-athlete interaction that I so appreciate I'm like, okay, we're not at this point yet, but how do we get to this next point where I want you all? And that feedback was awesome. But yeah, simple five, 100s, 300, four rounds. The adjustment is the powerful part of that whole interaction. Cause not only does it mean that you're listening to your athletes, you're showing them that you're listening, you're putting it into action by adjusting those, you know, those approaches and the number of reps and everything. And then they see that success. It's like, you know, that, that's how things are, are grown. Um, that's how, you know, goals are met and confidence is built right there. So it's awesome. It's a really cool share. Um, when it comes to how you're going to grow in your profession as somebody who, like we've talked about over and over again, has already been the leader of three of the top clubs in the country. Where do you go from here? Are there any benchmarks out there in your career that you're kind of eyeing at this point? Hmm. I think from a professional career standpoint, um, you know, I'm going to be here for a while. Um, that was my promise to my wife. My wife and I had that conversation. Um, we've actually been doing distance for a very long time, and this is the first time we've settled down. So, you know, she moved to Arizona two weeks later. I took the Rose Bowl job and she's like, she looked at me and she's like, Hey, we can't do this. Um, every, every two years, every four years. Um, so for now we're settled down. Um, I'm home and it's, that's kind of unbeatable. Um, but from a professional standpoint, you know, that's, that's where I'm at. I think from a personal standpoint, I'm ready to be a, a better husband, you know, hopefully start a family someday. You know um, the fact that you have family Garrett is something that I aspire to have uh, in the future. Um, you know, I'm going to give our water polo head coach a shout out, but he, he and I talked about a two, two, two rule where every, every two weeks, the wife and I go on a small date every two months. We go on a little vacation every two years. We go on a pretty big vacation. Um, so that's something I got to be better at um, from my personal standpoint, the professional career will always be here. Um, I feel pretty confident in that. I think from a professional or personal growth standpoint, um, I got to make sure that catches up to my professional side. It's an awesome answer. I think you're totally right. And I think that, in that process of taking some time away from the professional goals and focusing on the personal goals, you're going to learn a lot. That's going to make you a better coach in a lot of ways too. Um, my last question is right along those lines, you talk about how mental health is a big thing for you um, with your swimmers. Um, you just talked about how, you know, your personal goals and, you know, being a great husband and, and hopefully soon a father as well. Those are also jobs though. And those are things that, you know, you have to kind of take care of, for other people, what do you do to take care of yourself as Brene would encourage you to do? 
Um, from an, from a workout standpoint, I, I love lifting. I love getting in the weight room. You know, one of my old teammates and good friends, CG young, he's always said, Hey, rest your mind on the iron. Um, I'm not sure how much he lifts, but the fact that he said that to me, one that to me once upon a time has really stuck with me, you know, being able to kind of tune out for an hour or two is something that I look forward to every single day. It kind of keep, it keeps me healthy mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, so that's something I definitely need in my, in my daily schedule. Um, and you know, when I was at Bellevue club, when I, when I was, when I, before I started that head coaching role, I did ask the director, the president, the club president, I said, Hey, I need two hours to myself if I'm going to do this job. Right. Um, and they respected that. And I kind of held on to that through Scottsdale and through now at Rose bowl, you know, Scottsdale being in Arizona, it's such a fitness friendly area. So you're able to find some pretty cool spots. Um, so I make sure that I balance it with that, you know, this, after getting a good workout in the morning is something that I truly treasure. And that's something that I need, you know, when we were at UW Whitney, all said that he needed to go on a run before he coached practice and he was going to be a better coach. Um, keeping our own cup full, half full, at least is going to be something that's super important. And that's what I stress to the athletes. Um, if I'm working my, if I'm working hard, then hopefully it'll kind of spill over into everything else. And the kids kind of see that. Like you said, those teenagers, they can sniff a fake. They know yep. what's up and they know what's not up. And they they can, I think, really relate if, if you're working and making that a part of your life. Not only is are they going to have a little bit more respect in the moment, but hopefully carry some good habits into their adulthood. Andrew, awesome to get to know you a little bit better. I mean, we've been friends and kind of with our paths crossing as you were going to Arizona, as I was coming up here to the Northwest, we've gotten to know each other a little bit better, but... Uh, these 50 minutes were awesome for me. I learned a lot. Um, I'm excited to see how you do. And uh, I will see you at juniors to see it firsthand here in about four weeks. So thank you very much for the time. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for this opportunity, Garrett. Absolutely. I think everybody's going to enjoy it. Take care. All right. Thanks, man. Bye. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim Podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.